right, guys, welcome back to another episode of Marlins 9. I'm your host, Jeremiah Geiger, and today I'm joined by Eli Sussman once again. Um, had him on the show multiple times. Eli, thanks for coming on the show, and how you doing? Thank you for inviting me back. It's a pleasure to be on. Uh, I love that you brought the, the show back, one of the shows featured in our new podcast directory that we set up on Fish on First, of all Marlin shows, and I, I love listening to you. Yeah, you uh, a lot of fun to talk to, and like, this is a good time of year to get into it. Uh, obviously, you know, the enthusiasm this time of year, pretty much for every team, but especially for the Marlins, I think once you finally start playing these exhibition games, it's um, there's just a whole lot of possibilities. And um, I, yeah, I find I've been waiting for this after a pretty slow offseason. Uh, my mood has been lifted just because of how close we're getting to the real stuff. Oh, 100%. Um, excited to be back recording. Took a little break in the offseason there. You know, NFL, NFL season, college football. Um and now, you know, spring training hits and lots of storylines, lots of lots to talk about, and we'll get right into it. First thing I, I kind of want to break down is it's kind of a two-part issue or topic. It's the offense. Will the offense improve in 2024? And a big reason why they will improve, um, if you hold that opinion, would be the full season that Jake Berger and Josh Bell will have on the Marlins. and then. Really, if you look at it, the only marquee signing that Miami made this offseason was Tim Anderson. Will Tim Anderson have a bounce-back season? So I'll let you just give me your thoughts on that, about the offense heading into opening day, um, spring training. It's, as you touched on with some of those new additions with the full seasons of the acquisitions they got last year, who were so good down the stretch of 23, and it's also the additions by subtraction having no Jacob Stallings in there, having no Joey Wendell, no Gene Segura, as they, they already got to experience that a little bit last year. And so between, they were just really almost as bad as you could be offensively at several different positions during the course of last year, and even late towards last year. It took until the very end for Skip to finally sit down Wendell at shortstop. And even really... Until even at the end of the season, Jacob Stallings was still like a significant piece of it. So even though there has to be a balance between getting quality defense at those, especially those premium spots, and also like looking out for the other parts of it, like they were just way too much in the wrong direction in terms of getting so little offensively that it was stopping them from putting up crooked numbers and having extended rallies because of our automatic outs in the lineup. As a combination of those things, it's hard to imagine them actually being worse than last year when they were last in the National League in runs scored. I think they were 26th, something like that, in Major League Baseball in runs scored. Um, overall, the, the question is, how does those improvements, those benefits, how does that offset losing Jorge Soler? Soler was awesome last year. Um, I think it was, I don't know if it would be realistic to expect him to be just as good moving forward, but, all, but you would definitely love to have him instead of having, you know, trying to cobbled together these other pieces around him, uh, around the DH spot instead. So when you when you look at it all together, I do expect them to be a little bit better, but the path for them to be even an average offense, it's going to take one of these younger guys to really have a breakout, or it's going to take maybe Jazz in particular is the guy you can circle where if he's healthy and he's a little bit more of a complete hitter, then he could really improve. But other than that, you just there's going to need to be at least one 
surprise or just one really positive developmental story from one of these other um, guys that they're bringing back who um, simply has to get better. With, with other teams, it's not that unusual, but with the Marlins in recent years, they've just been so bad at developing these hitters, either as prospects or even once they reach the big leagues, sometimes they hit a wall or they plateau. So it'll have to be a little bit different because they have you know different decision makers now and different ideas going on in the front office. There's you know, there's hope that maybe somebody does have a breakout. You definitely hope for the breakout season, like you said, from younger guys. But for me, when I look at the lineup, I look at, compared to opening day last season, like you said, Gene Segura, Joey Wendell, Jacob Stallings. I mean, going into last season, it, and this is without Jake Berger and Josh Bell, and uh, Jorge Soler, who... You know, going into 2023 was a little bit iffy. We didn't know how he was going to perform um, coming off a really injury-riddled season. He was the bright spot. He was, you know, the power power threat um, and had a great season up until the point where he turned it into a contract. He turned it into, you know, a good deal with the San Francisco Giants. And the Marlins opted. I was in the favor of retaining him and at least giving him a qualifying offer. We're not going to get into the finance of it, finances of it because you know I'm not in the front office. But you have to replace that production. And Jake Berger, Josh Bell, I, I like the production that they had down the stretch. And I think if they can continue that um, you know, second half of 2023 when we acquired them at the deadline, then you're going to have an upgrade. Because for me, I think the key is Tim Anderson. Um, Everybody seems to writ- have written him off last season. I-, I was one of the people, the fans, that said I would prefer, I would not want to go after Tim Anderson because the average went down, and they say the first thing to go in a hitter is the power, and his power, you know, dating back to two, three years ago, has declined to the fact where he only hit one home run all of 2023. But you look at the numbers, and this dude's a former batting champion. He's hitting... He's he has hit over 300 multiple years in a row. I believe last year was just the anomaly, and that's what we're we're hoping for. Because if you have a healthy Jazz, which is key, if Jazz can stay healthy, if you have Luis Arias, who we know is going to hit day in day out, and Jake Berger, you know he's not an average guy, but he's going to give you extra base hits. He's going to hit for a little power, and then you got Josh Bell, who's a former All Star. You add Tim Anderson, a bounce back year for Tim Anderson, then you got four or five guys every night who can really, you know, put a damage to a pitching rotation and and win some games. So I'm excited for it. Yeah, I I just had a conversation earlier this week with a a White Sox expert about Tim Anderson and the interesting trajectory of his career. And he draws the line pretty clearly. Not just last year, but around Memorial Day of 2022, a couple months into that year, that's when he had a first significant injury. When he came back from that, he just was not the same guy. In terms of what sticks out, as you touched on, is the lack of total lack of slugging. This was a guy that had a, a decent amount of both homers and doubles when he was in his prime, and that's overall he was slugging like 500. But he was a, a good source of power, even though he wasn't like a particularly strong guy. And ever since then. It, there really it's gone. Any flashes whatsoever of that aspect of his game? And he's been, he's been, even when he's been on the field, he's playing through some injuries. Especially last year is when, uh, he, when he played through 
several injuries, even for a team that wasn't really going anywhere. And the numbers kind of reflected that. Health, obviously, not an issue now. These were not anything that should linger moving forward. So I think it is safe to say that he's going to be better than he was last year. If it was so obvious, though, then the White Sox, they had control over him for 2024. They declined his club option at $14 million. Um, it would have been a fair price if they thought he could bounce back to being even like an average everyday player. But it shows that there really wasn't any trade interest in him at that point, and the Marlins ended up getting him for a fraction of that, $5 million guaranteed. So there is, I think, a big part of that is just the concerns about the defense. I have more optimism about his bat than I do about his defense. Um, that even for a guy that theoretically should still be around his prime at 30 years old, he's just, like, fundamentally... It's for a lot of his career, just hasn't really been there for him as a shortstop. And a lot of these routine plays that other guys make at that position, he just he's, mis- he's making mistakes too often at those spots. It is going to be a question of you know how much that bat bounces back to, to overcome that. And yeah, I'm more optimistic about him as a contact hitter than as a power hitter moving forward. But yeah, the key's just going to be him being healthy and him being disciplined as well there have been there are other players i think avi garcia is like an extreme example of ones that have a lot of success in their 20s and they're able to do it because they're like amazingly talented and they're able to do it despite being undisciplined and sometimes getting too aggressive um and a lot of these guys when they chase the wrong pitches they either swing and miss or more often they just make bad contact. They just make really easy outs when they shouldn't. When they're more disciplined, it, like, it turns out to be better. So with him, I think he's at this really important inflection point of his career where it's going to be important for him to be more disciplined to continue to get, to get the best out of himself while he ages. That's that, I think that will be the biggest key for him offensively is having a slightly more patient approach and doing his best to just focus on swinging at pitches that are in the strike zone. If they are, then I think he's going to have pretty significant improvement over last And that's what we can hope for as Marlins fans because, you know, two, three weeks ago, the shortstop was the black hole on the roster. Joey Wendell went to the Mets, and we go, well, I guess it's going to be John Birdie. It looks like he's going to be the everyday shortstop. And I think I can speak for most fans when we all – we love John Birdie. He's a fan favorite. Um, but he's a utility utility guy, and he wasn't the answer moving forward. And not to say that Tim Anderson is the answer. He they're taking a flyer on him, um, but you know it's a one year deal. It's it's five million dollars. Um, they're not they didn't sign um, you know an Avi Garcia or a Wei In Chen type deal to a player that is going to produce nothing for them. So really, the the only trajectory for Tim Anderson is up. Um, I'm excited to see, and I, I think the offense will improve, but the strength of the Marlins, um, undeniably so is the pitching staff, more specifically the rotation. And this is what I'm really excited to talk to you, Eli today about is, you know, Sandy Alcantara, who, you know, undeniably the ace Cy Young winner, you know, one of the most beloved Marlins, longest tenured Marlins on the roster is out with uh, Tommy John surgery. You know, he's going to be recovering all season long. And if you told me that two seasons ago, I would have said, 
there's absolutely no hope. You know, the man was carrying the pitching staff. And then you have Mel Sotomayor and um, work his magic with young pitchers and develop Jesus Luzardo, develop Braxton Garrett into having these breakout seasons in 2023. And suddenly you're, you're heading into spring training, heading into opening day. You know, I look at the rotation and every fifth day, like, like this is going to be interesting. There's some really talented arms on this roster and the starting five hasn't even been set. That's the best part. They're still competing. Yeah, to even dream of having an elite rotation needs to be more than five guys that you're excited and confident about. And that's what has made this first week or so of spring really encouraging because every single guy that is in the mix with the five that we've tentatively projected to be in there, it's also this kind of crowded rotation for the crowded competition for the back end of that rotation as well. The givens were Yuri Perez and Luzardo and Braxton. And even while the really the only concern has been the kind of a slow ramp up period for Braxton Garrett and Trevor Rogers, um, yeah, for both of them that we assumed would be in there. The in their place, we've had a solid debut for Edward Cabrera in spring. We've had more than solid looks at Ryan Weathers and the, the awaited return of Max Meyer. We're speaking the day after he made his first spring appearance for a couple innings out of the pen, a couple scoreless innings. Every every single guy that's taken the ball has been great. Uh, I think now the ERA, for anybody that cares, the ERA of these starters through this first week has been right around two. Now for seven, six or seven different guys with the two ERA, which is one of the best in all of spring we're seeing guys that are throwing as hard as they ever have, so they are not just able to get out there, but they look completely healthy, and um, they're throwing strikes, almost all of them. And it's really encouraging in terms of those guys being able to contribute right away. And I, I can't believe I didn't even mention A.J. Puck, because that's mm-hmm. gonna be really, to me, that's the most fascinating individual guy, because he's been a reliever for years. And due to mainly kind of just because the Oakland A's got frustrated with the injuries that he was having and the setbacks, and they thought maybe the best way to keep this guy available is to have him pitch one inning at a, one inning at a time. The, the question coming into camp was just whether he could like reincorporate the extra pitches to make himself a full-fledged starter. And the more that I think about it, like the more I'm, I'm totally down for the experiment. It's worth trying out. And the first glimpse of it was great using four different pitches instead of just mainly being a two-pitch guy last year. And for, for him, like even frankly, last year, he was just inconsistent. He, he missed a little time due to injury anyway. There were some questions about whether he was really suited to be a reliever because when pitching on back-to-back days, he wasn't quite the same guy that he was at his best. So if he's somebody that recovery time in between outings is kind of an issue, then you might as well be a starter and pitch once every five days. So with him, that is super fascinating. He has this is several of these other guys, he has minor league options left. Um, really, aside from Edward Cabrera, everybody has options left. So even though it's going to be kind of a tough decision at the very end of camp, um, they don't really have to make a decision in terms of they could have several guys ready and waiting at AAA, fully stretched out over the course of the season. It, there really is this path for them to have the, as deep a rotation as this organization has ever had, as long as uh, most of these guys avoid serious injury. And the quality of the depth they have. You know, I think last season, 
two seasons ago, especially when an injury would happen in the pitching staff, you would get guys getting called up like Dan Castano, for example, uh, for spot starts. And that's really how Braxton Garrett kind of got his foot in the door. Um, he kind of worked his way and forced himself into the rotation was there was an injury. He came up for a spot start and, and, you know, the Marlins liked what they saw because a lot of us had written him off as a prospect um, after he had Tommy John surgery. Um, but you look at the depth from top to bottom and the quality of stuff these guys possess. I mean, you mentioned Ryan Weathers. Weathers is throwing the hardest he's ever thrown in his career. His average last year, sitting around 95 miles an hour, he's hitting 98, 98, 99 miles an hour on his fastball. Like, that's super encouraging. A big, young, controllable starter who has that raw stuff. It reminds me like Jesus Lizardo. Um AJ Puck. Now this 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 is just fascinating fascinating too because everybody is like, wow, AJ Puck is we're trying to make him into a starter. You look back at high school, college, he was a starter in in at Florida, University of Florida, big time college program started in the minors, and you look at the numbers, he was a strikeout guy, threw hard, but the injuries caught up to him. So you got to wonder how much of it is just a mental barrier becoming a, a starter, starting pitcher. If he has the stuff and he can stay healthy, then, then that's an option right there. Like you said, A.J. Puck, really an interesting guy to keep an eye on. Max Meyer, is the depth is so awesome, and it was so great to see Max Meyer come back for the first time since Tommy John a couple seasons ago. He pitched, the slider looked great. Like that slider was the 80 grade pitch heading into that draft um, a few years back. Marlins loved it, took him at took him at number three. And if he can come back and his slider still has that same bite, then like they have a real weapon um, for either the rotation or I've seen a lot of you know pundits say maybe they should put him in the closer role. Um, and try him out there. What do you think about Max Meyer potentially cl- closing? Yeah, be- what makes him in such a fascinating position for this year is because he is coming off of Tommy John, and with very few exceptions, those guys always have some sort of a limit on them, and especially in his case where he's never been a full-season big league starter before. Mm-hmm. Like, There's only going to be so many innings to spread around. It's kind of like with Perez last year for a different reason. with him... Between the majors and minors, he ended up pitching about 125 innings, something like that. And I imagine that Max is going to be right in, within that similar range, knowing that you know, a couple of years down the road, they, I guess they want to leave open the possibility for him to be a full-time starter, but it's just to um, yeah, to be cautious. It'll have to be some sort of mix. So it's there are several different ways that you could chop up those innings. He could be a regular starter for two-thirds of the season, or he could be a reliever for most of the season and then a starter for the rest of it. Um, but the most important thing is about putting them in a position to be effective. And the reason why I was really excited about him a couple of years ago before he got hurt is it did seem that his third pitch, his changeup was coming along, that that made a pretty big leap between 2021 and 2022. Um, he, he hasn't really thrown it a whole lot. Uh, well, I, he barely threw it much at all during his first appearance. And what he did, it, it didn't really stick out all that much i think that's still like a really big question about him and there is still somewhat of a question about his fastball and the velocity is above average it's not 
anything super special, you know, compared to this other group. The Marlins are so spoiled with the arm talent that they have with these other guys, where among everybody else in this mix, it's ahead of Braxton Garrett, but uh, that's about it. With, with everybody else, they're, like, sitting in the high 90s. Whereas with Max, he'll, he'll sit, like, 94, 95, occasionally go higher than that. So, yeah, a lot of it, there's a lot of pressure on his slider for the moment, but that is the one thing that's just really reliable with him. His, um, yeah, his way to shape that pitch in several different ways and his ability to maybe either throw it for strikes and he can't do much about it or the temptation to get guys chasing it out of the zone. So, yeah, if I had to, like, at least for this first season, I, I imagine you want to you feel like there's just not much left for him left to learn in the minor leagues, then you want him on the major league roster for as much of the season as possible. And if you do that, then a lot of that is going to have to come as a reliever. Um, entering the season, you want to have as many guys as possible prepared to be a starter because it's a lot easier to stretch out initially and then specialize as the year goes on rather than the other way around. Um, if, you, yeah, if you go the other way around, then there's going to be a few weird weeks in between where even if you are ready to be in the minors, you'll be stretching out in a low-pressure minor league environment just to get back to being a starter. So, uh, yeah, I think it's going to be opening. You'll, I think he'll make more of his starts early in the year. And then later on, it's going to be um, about that decision. I, I don't think he's going to be on the opening day roster. It'll be about how how effective he is early on in the AAA rotation, whether a spot opens up in the big leagues. And then there'll just have to be a point where they make a decision about if they feel like he's ready to help in the big leagues and they call him up as a reliever, or if that spot becomes available and he shows he's ready, then they give him a little audition as a starter and then figure it out from there. But it's, yeah, it's one where I, I'm, I'm confident in saying that there is no particular roadmap for him that it's going to have to it's going to start off just on how he's performing as a starter early on and then they'll take it from there it's he's such a wild card like because you you mentioned the third pitch and he got injured very early in his major league career it's just he's got so much talent you want him to have a role on the big league club because you want to you make a postseason run like last year and He's a top five overall draft pick from a few years back. You want him to have a role. It's just how much, it's kind of like, in a sense, how the Miami handled Yuri Perez last year, where you have a guy who is young and, in Yuri's case, was inexperienced when it came to um, Major League Baseball, obviously his debut, but in terms of innings, he hadn't pitched that many innings. He blew past his innings limit, so to speak the previous record he set and it was how do we handle this guy it's kind of like how are we going to handle max meyer what you know what role will he play because you trust the front office and skip schumacher enough to know that they know what they have and they're going to try to incorporate him into some capacity i'm going to be excited to see what it would be if it were up to me i would i'd really take a look at getting him you know in the minors, getting him starts, um, letting him go five, six innings, building up where he's he can pitch into the seventh if he needs. And then at that case, when you need a spot start, get him back, you know, maybe around May or June um, into the rotation if there's an opening. 
um, and let him fly. So Sixto Sanchez, um, I know we were talking earlier today. He was supposed to start, got pushed back um, where he's he was going to pitch. But, you know, he <laughs> how to say this really, is there any hope for Sixto Sanchez left? Is there any hope for him as a member of the Marlins organization? Um, it's been going on, you know, three years since he's really pitched at all in a meaningful way. And you look at pictures, he seems out of shape, um, very out of shape, at least in spring training. Um, the velo's down, the injury issues are there. What's your take on Sixto, man? Almost three full years removed from the original shoulder issue that he had, where he was in a similar spot to maybe Braxton this year, where he was um, a lock to be in the rotation when available, but he was a little bit slow ramping up. One of his final rehab appearances, this was before the, the, he was in this limbo period where the minor league season hadn't started yet. They still had those alternate training sites due to like COVID protocols. So he was pitching basically in a simulated scrimmage against his own teammates. And apparently that is where he, he hurt himself originally, right at the end of March or beginning of April in 2021. And ever since then, he just hasn't been able to get that shoulder right. He's gone under two different surgeries. And all you can say on the bright side is that he does better now than it was at this time last spring, where they are, the fact that he is right on the cusp of appearing in a spring game, but as a reliever. So this is, it's a clear point to make a distinction between the actual rotation battle and where he is at, where it's, you don't want to fall into the same laziness that affected AJ Puck, for example, where they got a little bit, um, they got antsy because of the injury issues and turned him into a rel- reliever. This is a case where it's just really hard to see him going extended periods as an available pitcher. This shoulder, it's, it does seem like a chronic issue with him. That despite the procedures he's had, there hasn't been a clear fix for it. The like shoulder capsule is one of those really devastating injuries for a pitcher because it, it changes the way you throw. And I think even to the untrained eye, you can see that his mechanics now are different than they used to be because of the way that his shoulder was irreparably changed, that that whole configuration is just a little bit different now than it was before the surgeries that he had. And because of it, he can't get as much velocity into it. He could be uh, he could be the fittest player on the team physically, and he probably still wouldn't be able to generate the same velocity that he did previously as a prospect just because of the way that his shoulder has kind of broken down Uh, last year was throughout the entire year he was attempting to ramp up and throw and he constantly had these setbacks and at the final at the very end of the year he got into a minor league game and was really underwhelming and couldn't even make his next scheduled appearance after that you just can't really have any expectations whatsoever on him right now but the reason why he's such a fascinating player, player entering this year anyway is because he's finally out of minor league options. The Marlins burned through his minor league options while he was working through this injury. So now it's a decision where he is he's physically able to pitch at this point. Um, I don't know if you can actually make up an injury list designation for him entering this season. Right. He's actually throwing on like a kind of normal schedule. He's just the stuff isn't the same. And I should clarify, it's not only about the fastball velocity. It's um, 
also just about him as a pitcher overall, where his secondary pitches aren't, he's not commanding them as They're not the same as before. This was more than a guy that was, his, his fastball velocity was exceptional, like sitting in the high 90s and hitting triple digits kind of consistently when he needed to. But the reason why he was one of the best prospects in all of baseball and why there was so much hype before his injury is because um, I, I was kind of at the top of this list of people who subscribed to the fact that he was such a complete pitcher, that he had excellent command, a deep pitch mix, and I thought he was also a pretty smart guy on the mound as well. He knew what he wanted to do, but he was not just overpowering guys, but getting weak contact when he needed to. That he checked a whole lot of boxes of somebody that could be in the rotation for a long time, and uh, partly due to the injury, but maybe partly also due to some of the work ethic that he had while rehabbing the injury. Um, I just think there's no really turning back in terms of being the player that he used to be. It's just a question about whether he can reinvent himself to have any sort of substantial major league career. I just we're watching him super closely because it's a good chance that. Well, it's a possibility that this is his final month in the organization. I don't think I'm, – I'm fairly confident that they're not going to force him on the roster just because he's out of options. As we just on, they just have really great pitching depth right now. They better – they have so many better alternatives, either as starters or even as relievers for a period of time, that I, I, I don't think they're going to reward him just for being out of options uh, unless he, sh- he shocks everybody in the few spring appearances that he makes. Um, it's really just a question about whether he'd even be claimed off waivers by another team if they designated him for assignment. And I don't know the answer to that because he has amazing prospect pedigree, but he just hasn't done anything at all for years due to this injury that there's a, there's a possibility that they DFA him at the end of spring. Everybody gets their jokes off about how the Marlins got burned in that trade, and then he clears waivers, and he actually stays in the organization for the entire year um, and, and tries to look for some sort of miraculous turnaround in the minors when he's no longer on their roster. But I understand the fascination about him just from running a Marlins outlet. People are still, there's a lot of people that are still fascinated by him for understandable reasons because this is unusual. There just aren't that many guys that were at such, they were on the fast track to stardom and then basically vanish, at least as baseball players, due to something like this. Um, it, is, it is a fascinating story. And I am looking forward to some of the overreactions we might see once he actually appears in the spring games. It's a sad story. Um, the lasting memory I have is against the Cubs in that COVID-shortened season in the playoffs. And he's blowing his fastball by hitters 100 miles an hour. You know, the off-speed is working, striking out you know, weak contact, and you're sitting there thinking a star is born, he's going to be the ace of the staff, because at that point, you know, Sandy really hadn't established himself as a superstar or a star pitcher in in the league, and then all of a sudden, it's gone. And you keep looking and you keep looking, is he coming back? Because, you know, as a a fan and somebody that covers the sport, you're like, well, you know, an injury, you're going to come back. You're going to naturally bounce back from injury. Even Tommy John, you, you look at superstars, Jacob DeGrom, you know, whoever has a surgery, you're going to come back. You're going to end up pitching. He never established himself. He never came back. And whether that 
how much of that is due to his work ethic or his you know his injury how how severe it is it like you said it's a terrible injury um it's a really sad story and i hope for him that you look at these last 3 years and you see that he hasn't given up um he's still at the end of the day he's still in spring training he's still in camp and he's still making an effort to pitch and for that you have to you have to tip your cap and say that's commendable and I really hope that he, whether it's with the Marlins or with it's not, whether it's not, I hope he finds his way. Um, you know, maybe this is just a dream, but I hope I hope he finds his way onto the major league mound again, just for that personal accomplishment, where he can say, after all these years and setbacks, he made it. Because at the end of the day, it's about perseverance, and you know. He might not have been the top prospect. Um, a lot of fans get frustrated, and frustrated, but you got to feel for the guy as a person. Um, and you know, he knows just as much as everybody what could have been. I think you're going to look at, you know, the biggest what could have been stories in sports, um, in baseball, and not a lot of people are going to know who Sixto Sanchez is in five, ten years, unless you're a Marlins fan. But you know. There you go. I mean, that that's that's an example right there. Um, so wishing him nothing but the best. The last storyline I kind of want to talk to you about, Eli, today. Um, who are a couple underrated guys, especially offensively, um, that you're looking for as spring training progresses? I got a couple names in my mind, um, but I'll wait to hear yours first. It's fascinating um, in terms of that. Well, still think that if we're just talking about offensively and what they're capable of I don't I don't know if he's still underrated at this moment with Tristan Gray as um, the only guy as of this recording who has hit a home run for the Marlins in spring training and maybe because of that has drawn some attention to him um, but he, he's somebody that at the highest level of the minors he was sitting for great power last year in the Rays organization he was one of the very first transactions that Peter Bendix made coming to the Marlins to sign him to a minor league deal. Um, so the fact that he is he's not built like a typical shortstop, um, but the, his movements out there are kind of fluid enough that they're more than comfortable not only in spring games, but I imagine in the regular season that that's an opportunity for him to get at-bats at there or basically any other infield position. So because of that, he has just so many opportunities to potentially contribute over the course of the season. Whether or not the actual projected opening day roster on the position player side is pretty crowded. Like it's going to take either an injury or a surprising decision to move on from an expensive veteran hitter that people know who I'm talking about. That you know, it would take a little bit of a surprise in order to open up room for a non-roster invitee like him. But over the course of the season, he he really is somebody I would circle that should get a whole lot of opportunities here because of the power that he has the versatility to pitch in at those several different infield spots, whatever the team needs. And he's somebody that in AAA, his strikeout rate has been close to that level that is alarming, where if you strike out a third of the time he comes to the plate, that is one of those spells where it's going to be even higher in the big leagues than somebody that you can't really, that if they get consistent at-bats in the big leagues, that they're going to get exploited, that teams are going to figure out 
where it is that they could get most of their swings and misses and just relentlessly game plan for that as well. So I would say that the the likelihood of him sticking in the big leagues and having a, an extended career seemed pretty low, but he is one of those players that could go on a pretty extended run of production when he is up at whatever point during the course of the year. Um, I mean, the other one, not so much for this year, it's really more towards 2025, is I am excited about Victor Mesa Jr., who has emerged mm. as one of the better position players in this entire organization. He is one of the youngest guys that are in camp right now, but he's on the 40-man roster. He's been in this organization for a long time, and he hasn't had a single breakout year, even though he's been around for five and a half years since he signed. But he has really grown into his body in an encouraging way. And just like with, with Gray, he can at least fake it in center field in a premium position. So he can contribute at all three outfield spots, and that just creates more opportunity for him at some point to come up and help. I would think that he's going to go to AAA at the start of the season. Even he says he doesn't know for sure whether that's happening. But he is, uh, to me, like I think his floor is relatively high as a hitter. He is he's really improved as being a more complete hitter than he was originally. He's somebody that, like, his quality of at-bats against, he's a left-handed hitter, and his quality of at-bats against lefties has definitely improved over the course of his minor league career as well. And, yeah, he is, like, built up. I saw a comparison. I don't even know who exactly put it out there about him. It was trying, It was meant to be, like, an actual knock on him that he is maybe a lefty Brian De La Cruz moving forward. And I wouldn't say that's the worst thing, but that is a path for him where I think there could be above-average power there. Um, and even though it's it's not going to be like tape measure home runs, he, he's somebody that could get into a groove and be a really good source of just extra base hits and doing them in important situations. Uh, yeah, most of all, I haven't spoken to him before and haven't gotten to know him through the years. He is... Um, I don't want to like overstate this, but he, he just he knows ball really, really well. He is in love with some of these subtle aspects of the game, whether it comes to his own mechanics, whether it comes to just understanding what the pitcher is trying to do to him. He, he's really intelligent when it comes to that. Um, there, there have been cases, there have been other players um, well, on both ends where even if you are somebody like that, maybe that just means you're going to be a really big, good coach in the future. Like that doesn't actually guarantee a whole lot when it comes to on the field. But I think that is a kind of subtle edge um, that he does have that allows him to adjust pretty well to coming out of slumps and just make you know the best out of any situation once you, he actually gets like a consistent opportunity. Left-handed uh, Brian De La Cruz isn't a bad comparison at all. I mean, De La Cruz wasn't a top prospect in Houston and came over and has become a really solid player, really solid hitter for the Marlins. Somebody that I mean, I saw Fish on uh, for Fish on first the tweet earlier about his exit velos. I mean, this spring training, he's hitting the cover off the balls just like last year. You know, you're producing hard contact. It's that's a good thing. So the two guys that I was kind of looking at, um, obviously Tristan Gray was one of them just because of the power that he presents and somebody that theoretically could, you know, you know, force his way, not even play his way onto the roster, but be an option that Miami has, whether that's in the minor leagues 
um, as just a power bat. The issue is the average. He's not going to hit for average. Um, never really has. But that's, you know, there's players like that, that are power first, and you know what you get with them. You're going to get a lot of strikeouts, and you're going to get a low average. Troy Johnson, another name I wanted to throw out there. You know, last year I, I really was looking at the numbers and hitting for average, hitting for average, and a little bit of power, not as much as Tristan Gray, but he'll still, he has that 15 to 20 home run power um, given a full season. And he's played AAA, played AA. The issue is his age, you know, and I'm not sure if he has options or not. I'm Correct me if I'm wrong. I'm not sure the number on that. But it just seems like if he hasn't been given a real shot by now, then I don't know, you know, when would the time be? Because he's kind of blocked, you know, from the major league roster. Well, he, um, more than anybody else, his his own team underrates him quite a bit. The fact that they didn't protect him on the 40-man right. in the course of the offseason and, and didn't give him an opportunity last year when he seemed to be, by all measures, a potential upgrade over Yuli Gurriel, who was slumping so much down the stretch at first base, that they just within the organization, they don't hold them in a super high regard, but the production has been, it, it speaks for itself in the minors. It's been so consistently great almost ever since he entered uh, the minor leagues, but it reached even a, a whole new level in um, last year between AA and AAA with him. But yeah, the only reason I didn't shout him out is because I feel like uh, I, I rate him about as highly as anybody. Myself and Alex Carver at Fish on the Farm, like in our updated rankings, we, we think he's a one of the better hitting prospects in this organization, despite being as old as he is, he's going to be turning 27 midway through the upcoming season. So there's nothing to project right there. Uh, like realistically, he might be the best. Uh, he might be the best version of himself right now. Like this, this might be the peak of his career, and yet he's not even getting an opportunity to test it out in the big leagues. So that has been that's been a head scratcher for me. The way that he's not valued quite as much by the team themselves. As he, it's confusing. It's, it really is confusing because the numbers are there. The numbers are there. You know, at the end of the day, hits matter, results matter, and he goes out and hits the baseball. Um, yeah, I, for, I forgot about that, but when he was unprotected on the 40-man roster earlier this offseason, just why, you know? And you just wonder, like, across the board, does the front office see a role for him long-term? I, I think he is pretty limited defensively, and you could argue in that regard kind of a not to compare him to Jacob Berry because Jacob Berry can't hit the baseball either, but he's very stiff defensively. Um, but no, I'd love to see him get a shot because why not? You know, at least give him a shot and see what happens. Like it can't, it can't possibly be worse than a guy like Avi Garcia, who's just taking money and an automatic out. But you know, a podcast discussing the woes of the Marlins contract situations with certain players for another time. Um, last guy I meant I'll mention is I mentioned him just a second ago is Jacob Barry. You know, Brooks Lee should have been the pick. That's all I got to say really on that. Um, just got to eat that mistake. I think right, Eli. Right. Yeah. I am <laughs> a draft expert, but that was to me one of the more confusing decisions of the entire Kim Ang era. Um, making that selection and investing so much of their entire draft pool in him where, and I, I just don't see it. I haven't 
seen it since he since the day he walked into professional baseball. Like I just have this. I might never forget that first day when he was at at the time Marlins Park at point twenty two. I had a couple of my staff covering it in person. He was taking ground balls at third base where they drafted him as a third baseman. And uh, like every single throw was off the mark going across the diamond. Just, this is supposed to be like a celebration, you know, his first day as a pro in what he thought would be his future major league home. And it was just clear that he was, he was out of place. Despite having so much success in college, there is... There's a lot of variance in terms of how those guys actually translate to Major League Baseball. It is some way a different sport between playing collegiately and then playing professionally, even if the talent level around you may feel kind of similar at times. So with him, it's it's really, even though it's so early in his pro career, it is sort of a break, a make-or-break year where you just find out if is he enough of a skilled, knowledgeable hitter to kind of make up for what are severe limitations defensively as well as uh, some limitations power-wise as well like is is there just enough can he get the most out of his really limited skill set in order to show that he's one of the better prospects in this organization and somebody that could actually help them in the big leagues i'm really skeptical of it um as yeah it's just it's just one year every year you get another opportunity to draft again and bring in a new batch of guys and it is so important with this organization, whether everybody from Jacob Berry to Avi Garcia and in between, this organization has had an issue with like clinging on to previous mistakes and not wanting to recognize a sunk cost, recognizing where you make a mistake. And every single front office makes a lot of them year. There's so many decisions and it can be difficult to predict. But once you see evidence that something isn't working the way you were supposed to do, you shouldn't miscast those players moving forward. You shouldn't reward them for who you originally thought they were or what their paycheck says. You, you need to just have a fresh set of eyes. And that's just another reason why I guess you can be hopeful about where the team is right now because they've brought in so many sets of fresh eyes at all these leadership positions that those people should be empowered to make the decisions that they feel are necessary. Um, they don't have those same connections to their previous players. So even though change can be kind of exhausting, um, it is yeah, it is frustrating as a Marlins fan to have had so much, so little continuity uh, among this organization and all this all this change. I think some of these changes could be for the better as, as long as yeah, these people are given that opportunity to make their own, call their own shots and shape this organization in a way that it's more sustainable than it previously has been yeah and the last thing i say before we wrap up which was really one of the longest episodes in marlin's nine um history i guess um it's just it's a new scouting department it's a new you know front office peter bendix really analytical driven guy you're gonna have you know maybe the whole narrative of miami can't develop hitting um which has been so prevalent over the last couple seasons um you know maybe that narrative will change in the near future and you start drafting well you start signing more international free agents that really can develop um at a young age into an all-around hitter not just one style not just a power bat not just a contact you know slap hitter if you can continue to develop and 
and scout with the new front office, there's always hope. And there's always hope when each team is 0-0 zero and zero at the beginning of the season. And that's what we're doing. Spring training, the games don't matter. It's all about excitement and good good times. So I want to thank you for coming on to the podcast today and, and having a conversation about some Marlins baseball. It was it was a it was a pleasure. My pleasure to come on. Everybody subscribe to Marlins Nine where we get pods. And but yeah, you can keep track of me. All things fish on first, including our new website, our new redesigned website, fishonfirst.com. We are Kind of regardless of the wins and losses, we know we're going to have a good time covering this team and yeah, getting to learn about all the changes that they've made is a it's yeah it's a really fascinating time to, to cover this team and uh, we appreciate everybody that follows along with us. All right, and with that, thank you guys for listening. Um, enjoy the pod, subscribe, follow Eli and everybody there at Fish on First, and let's go fish. <laughs>